more information out there. We're in John 16 this morning. John chapter 16, continuing walking through um, a few chapters in the Gospel of John, paying particular interest to the idea of what it means to abide in the true vine. This is Jesus' final teaching. These are the very last words that Jesus will say to his disciples. John 17 we'll look at next week are words that Jesus says to his Father as he is in prayer. But Jesus' final teaching began in John chapter 13 with the washing of the disciples' feet. John chapter 13 verse 15 he says, I've given you an example so that you should do just as I have done. As they moved from the upper room, they began to, Jesus began to teach in John chapter 14. It's an encouragement. It's an encouragement to his disciples. It's an encouragement from Jesus that his disciples will be with him. That he will be with them in the Holy Spirit and they will be with him in all of eternity in a place where he is preparing for them even now. John chapter 15, Jesus details the source of life for his church and his disciples. He says, I am the true vine. Abide in me. These words are the words of strengthening that Jesus gives even to us as we walk in a world that's filled with hate. It's filled with hate for each other, hate for God and his creation, hate for God himself, his Messiah, and his church. Abiding in the true vine, long term, for life, as God the Father is the vine dresser and he prunes away the deadness of our lives and molds us in the image of his Son, that is when Jesus says we bear fruit, especially fruit of love, sacrificial love, a choosing love, a vulnerable love. A love for one another, even as Christ loved us. When we read chapter 16, it is almost as though Jesus is responding to an unasked question. The question is, okay, all this is true, Lord. What should we do? What should we do? In John chapter 14 and 15, Jesus has told us that our love for him is displayed by the keeping of his commandments. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. But when we open up John 16, here's the surprising thing. Here's the surprising thing that Jesus says. He says, do nothing. But wait. He says, do nothing but wait on the Holy Spirit. And when He comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will guide, He will direct, and Jesus says He will glorify me. I'm going to read the first half of John chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. Let me invite you to stand one more time as we honor the reading of the Lord, of the Word of the Lord this morning. I have said these things Jesus says, John chapter 16, verse 1, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. 
They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these to you that when their, their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things from you from the beginning because I was with you. Verse 5, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are or that, that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father is mine has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word this morning. We thank you for the conviction of your word this morning. And we would pray that as we hear your word, as we read your word, as we're in, confronted with your word, that we would abide in you and that we would conform to the word who is your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. You can be seated. Jesus says, in essence, says in essence through this passage, the true vine works through the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth and the spirit of help. The spirit of comfort, the spirit of conviction. God in Christ works through God, the Holy Spirit. We need to place what Jesus says here in the context of what he says a couple of chapters before this. In John chapter 14, beginning in verse 12, Jesus teaches his disciples, Truly I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. And so we ask the scripture, we ask Jesus in this passage, what are these greater works? What are these greater works that Jesus is speaking of? When he says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these. Is Jesus saying 
that the quality of work that the church does will exceed the quality of the work that Jesus did. That would be hard to imagine since Jesus created the universe. John chapter 1 verse 3, all things were created through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And when we go back to Genesis and we see when everything was made, the Bible repeatedly says, and it was good. And it was good. So I don't know that it means the quality, but maybe it means the quantity. Maybe the greater works of it will do what Jesus did. We'll just do more of it. More of the same work. That over the period of the centuries, there will be more of the same work that Jesus did. Again, it's hard for me to reconcile that since John will close this very gospel with these words from John chapter 21, verse 25. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I don't know that we can do more than Jesus did. I don't think we can do things better than Jesus did. So what does Jesus mean? Greater works than these. I think first it means this. That Jesus' ministry will continue through the apostles and into the church. That the preaching of the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins and rose for our salvation, the preaching of the gospel will go to the ends of the earth and lives will be eternally saved. The work of Jesus continues on through his body, which is the church. But secondly, I think it means that this great work, and we talked a little bit about this in our 522 group this morning, this great work will be done through ordinary people. Through ordinary people. There never has been and there never will be again anyone who walks on this earth who is fully divine and fully human. That was Jesus. There will be no other. This takes on a new understanding. When we understand that the continuing work of Christ is done through the faithfulness of people who were dead in sin, but now made alive, alive in Christ. And here's where Jesus picks up in John 16. This greater work is the work of the Holy Spirit. This greater work is the work of the Holy Spirit. These dead, now faithful, you and I who were dead in our sin, now made alive and faithful to Christ. The Apostle Paul describes us this way. I'm sorry it's not very flattering, but this is what the Holy Spirit inspired him to write to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and following. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly accounts. Not many of you powerful. Not many of you of noble birth. But God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. These non-wise, non-powerful, non-noble, foolish, weak people, and beloved, that's, that's you and me. We do the work of Christ because of the Holy Spirit. There's three major works that Jesus speaks of that the Holy Spirit accomplishes through the church. In verse 8, he says he convicts the world. In verse 13, he says he guides into all truth. And in verse 14, he says he glorifies Christ. Let's look at the first two of those together. Verse 8 and following. When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to my Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment are works that only God does. Jesus has already pointed out his work convicted unbelieving people of their sin. Back in John chapter 15, 22 and following. And when he did, he says the world hated him for it. Because we love darkness rather than light. But that conviction comes with the reality of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it is a work that reveals the truth. When the spirit of truth, verse 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Aside from the truth, there is no conviction. Not of sin, because we never recognize sin as sin without the truth of God. There is no conviction of righteousness because we cannot know righteousness outside of knowing Christ. And there is no conviction of judgment because we will never know judgment outside of knowing the judgment that Jesus incurred on the cross in the crucifixion when he died for our sin. The work of the Holy Spirit is the work of truth. A couple of important points I want us to make sure we grasp here regarding the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Number one is that the gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the body of Christ, not the individual Christian. Yes, when we are saved, when we are redeemed, the Holy Spirit abides in us. He takes up Residence in us. And if we're truly saved, He manifests Himself in different gifts. The apostles talk about this. If we are truly saved, He works through the Christian, though, for the church. The entire context of Jesus' teaching in this chapter is to encourage and strengthen His disciples, strengthen His apostles, as just 50 days from now, 
they're going to see the birth of the church at Pentecost. Paul affirms this in 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized in one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and frees, free. We are all made to drink of one spirit. God has arranged the members in the body, each one as he chose. This is the Marcus Daly translation of this passage. You're here because God wants you here. I don't care when you started here. I don't care why you walked in the door the first time. If you are a believer, God has equipped you to be in this body and he has chose you to be here. And your gifts are for the sake of the body. I think that's the primary point Jesus is making here. He is telling his disciples that though he is leaving, he is going to die, he is going to be buried, yes, he is going to resurrect, but then he is going to ascend. Though he is leaving, their ministry is just beginning. In John 16, 1, he says, I said these things to you to keep you from falling away. To keep you continuing to abide. In other words, we must abide in the true vine. The unity of the church is the primary focus of Jesus' prayer in John 17. We'll look at it more in depth next week. So it is evident that Jesus' hope is that the power comes to the church through the Holy Spirit for the unity of His body, grounded in the conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment, because here and only here do we become holy. One other thought on the work of the Holy Spirit in the local church. In the branches, if you will, that would be us of the true vine. Jesus says in John 16, 14, of the Holy Spirit, He will glorify me. The Gospel of John, among other things, but the Gospel of John offers two major emphases from beginning to end. Emphasis number one is the Word. Emphasis number two is the truth. And Jesus claims to be both of them. In John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and later in that chapter, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the truth. Listen, please. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son. And the primary way He does that is He takes what is Jesus's. If you look at verse 14, if you take what is Jesus's and He declares it to us, He declares it to the church. He takes the truth of the Word and He makes it known to the church. This truth is from the Father 
personified in the Son and implanted in our hearts, our minds, and our lives by the Spirit. Again, Jesus will pray in the next chapter, I have glorified you on earth, accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. And then Jesus prays, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The Holy Spirit is here to glorify the Son in the church. We see the glory of Christ made manifest in the Holy Spirit in His Word, in the Bible. And beloved, I, I pray, please, 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 listen here. We are doing the greatest work. We are doing the greatest work in the history of history. The Holy Spirit is doing the greatest work in the history of history when through His church, through us, the Holy Spirit is illuminating the truth and through us proclaiming it to the world. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are transforming lives from a world of hatred to a world of Christ-like love. There is no greater work than could ever be done. And then Jesus ends his final teaching to his disciples. The last half of this chapter, he ends by declaring the greatest work that could ever be accomplished. These are the final words of Jesus before he will go to the cross to this group of disciples. So these are important words. Because even though they think they know what's going on, in a couple of hours, the disciples, the context of this story, in just a couple of hours, the disciples are going to see something that seems, that makes them feel, that seems like the world, the devil, and even death itself has won the final victory. But Jesus ends his teaching this way. Verses 16 and following. In a little while, he says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, What's, what's this he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask what they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? <coughs> truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman gives birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. 
that I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. No one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you until now. You have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. That your joy may be filled. Verse 25, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming though when I no longer will speak to you in figures of speech. But will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. And I believe that I came from God. I came from the Father and I've come into the world. And now I'm leaving the world and going to my Father. His disciples said, oh, now you're speaking plainly. Not using figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things. And do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God and Jesus answered do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. The moment that Jesus is speaking of indeed comes to pass. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 56, the Bible says that as the soldiers arrested Jesus, all of his disciples, all of his disciples left him and fled. There's sorrow in the hearts of the disciples. There is sorrow now as they think that Jesus is leaving. There will be more sorrow when he is arrested. And even greater sorrow as he is nailed to a cross and dies. All of this teaching. Everything Jesus has said in the last three chapters, really, from let not your heart be troubled to I am the way and the truth and the life. When Jesus said, I am the true vine, abide in me, abide in my love. Everything that Jesus has said, when he said, I will send you a helper, the spirit of truth. When he said to, to, when he said to them, the world will be hated, you will be hated by the world, everything that Jesus has said to this point comes to this ultimate climax in these final words. And notice what Jesus says in verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. Take heart. Look at these words. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Jesus does not say, you can overcome the world. He doesn't say, 
you have overcome the world. He said, I have overcome the world. Is there fear? Is there sorrow? Is there suffering? Is there hatred? Jesus says, I have overcome. I have overcome. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus die? He says it right here. I have overcome the world. Oh, he says it plainly. And we are called to teach and preach it plainly. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He said it plainly. We're called to proclaim it clearly. And he also says we are called to live it plainly. 1 John 3, 8, The reason the Son of God appears... The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. God Himself tells Satan this in Genesis chapter 3. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you will bruise His heel. I have overcome the world. Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and in to a marvelous light. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. From Genesis to Revelation, chapter 20, verse 10, the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. Take heart. I have overcome the world. The dying declaration. The dying declaration from the cross. Jesus' final words are a word that says I have overcome. John chapter 19 verse 30. He says it is finished. I have overcome the world. Friends, our sorrow is turned to joy in Christ. Our defeat is turned to victory in Christ. Our death is turned to life in Christ. True Vine Baptist Church when she officially exists, overcomes the world in Christ. And even now, as we are planting and praying and preparing, beloved Jesus says, abide in the true vine because there and there alone do we find hope and joy and victory. There is much strife in this world. So much is infecting our culture 
And so much is affecting our world. As we seek to address these things biblically, we must, we must never ever forget that all of these problems in the world have one solution. And that one solution is this. Jesus Christ has overcome the world. Through His death, through His resurrection, He has called us to life through repentance and faith. And we can love one another, we can love our neighbor, and we can even love our enemy. We can have joy in suffering. And we can have hope in the darkness of this world. It is the gospel that overcomes the hate-filled darkness, the grace of Christ in the mercy of of the gospel, there is our only hope. Christ has sent. He has sent the Holy Spirit. We know Acts 1, 8, that happened. He has sent the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of help, the Spirit of comfort, the Spirit of truth. And we seek Him for the glory of Christ in His church. I have overcome the world. I want to close this morning by reading Psalm 19. Psalm 19. I encourage us to let this be the prayer of our heart. Maybe the prayer of repentance. The prayer of confession of sin. The prayer of new life. The prayer of Walking in a victorious Christ who said it is finished and has overcome the world. Psalm 19. The Bible says it's the Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and might or a night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, their works to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heaven, its circuit to the ends of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than, are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, dripping, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. 
Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, this is our prayer this morning. Our rock and our redeemer. That the meditations of our heart and the words of our mouth, that they would be acceptable in your sight. That we would live and walk in the work that the Holy Spirit is doing even, even today in this place. That we would be filled with His conviction. That we would recognize sin and repent of it. We would recognize judgment and surrender to it in Christ. And recognize righteousness that we can walk and live the holiness of Jesus. Father, in this world there will be tribulation. There will be struggles and there will be trials and there will be pain. But we thank you for the promise that you have overcome the world. And so my prayer this morning is this. If there's one here who does not know you, if there's one here who is lost and today they realize that they need a relationship with Jesus, today would be the day that you would draw them by their, by their heart to you to a place of repentance and belief. Father, for those who do know you, who are trying to strive in this world on our own, in our own strength, may, may we submit to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that we can glorify you as you have overcome this world. Father, as we begin and continue to do the work of your church, I would pray you would unify our hearts that where you are, we will be also. And that we can know you, know you in the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. We trust you, Father. We love you. We desire to cling to you. We pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would rest in your body in this place. And we would go forth to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.